1: lies in wait for him, he plans a trap, and he rises against him and strikes him mortally so that he does die, and he flees to one of those cities. Now it's a whole different ball game, whole different story now. Then the elders of the city will send and bring him from there, and they will deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him, verse 13, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel. Notice, underline this, that it may go well with you that it may go well with you. Again, think of how this was a great deterrent against sin. It is something that we have really lost today.
0: Today on Truth in Christ, God says, You shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with you. Thanks for joining us today. In this lesson, we learned that God was just as concerned that the guilty be punished as he was that the innocent be protected. This accountability served in those days for a deterrent to future crimes. Unfortunately, in our society today, This accountability has diminished and has become very weak in deterring sin. Here's Pastor Rob with today's message.
1: ...them, the manslayer, to flee to one of these three cities and be safe. And those cities in those days were usually walled and there was a gate. And you would go in the gate and you would present your case before the elders of that city and you would tell them what happened and that it was unintentional, and it's their responsibility to look into this, to really look at the case and see if, if indeed you really are innocent, and it really was an accident. Because if it was an accident, they're, they're required to keep the manslayer from coming into the gate, into the city, and killing you. And that was their job. That was what they were supposed to do. So verse 7, he says, Therefore I command you, Moses is telling them, Saying, you shall separate three cities for yourself. So, these cities of refuge; these were on the east side of the Jordan. And this was done uh, before crossing the Jordan River. You remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt um, before they went into the Promised Land? They came up on the east side of the Jordan. They they slew these uh, kings over on the east side of the Jordan River: Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan. And they killed these two kings. And, uh, and God was saying, I want you to make three cities on the east side here, and I want you to make them cities of refuge. And we can see all the way back in the very fourth chapter of this very book that we're in right now, in verse 41 it says this. And this is back in the, in the very beginning of, of the book of Deuteronomy. It says, Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. Where does the sun rise? It rises in the east. It rises in the east, so toward the rising of the sun, that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in time past, and that by fleeing to one of these cities he might live. And here are the three cities. Bezer, in the wilderness on the plateau for the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan for the Manassites. So we have these three cities. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, Now if your Lord your God, if he enlarges your territory, as he swore to your fathers, and he gives you the land which he promised to give to your fathers, and if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three, lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and thus, guilt, and thus guilt of bloodshed be upon you. And so we see this idea of the three extra cities. And so we saw the, the first three, and then we're going to skip over to uh, the book of Joshua. You might want to just go over there with me to Joshua chapter 20. We're just going to look at the first nine verses of this, because what we're, what we're doing right now is we're looking at something that happened later in time. Because if you remember, again, just so you can understand the timeline, they, they come out of uh, Egypt, then finally they get right to the edge of the, the Jordan River on the east side, and then they cross over the Jordan, and then they defeat Jericho, and then Ai, and then some time goes by, and then Joshua uh, dies, and then, actually, I'm sorry, back, back, backing up before he dies, they inhabit the the land on the west side of the Jordan, and they divided up according to Lot, according to their 12 tribes, right? Because uh, the, the other three tribes are on one side, and now the rest of them are going to be on the other side, on the west side. So let's look at verse 1 of Joshua chapter 20. It says, The Lord also spoke to Joshua, and again, this is later on. He says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourself cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. And that's what we just read, Right? and that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally But did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city. Notice this, this is really interesting. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment so that they can review the case, and until the death of one who is high priest in those days. And then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled only after the death of the high priest. You know, notice that he had to stay in that city until he stands before the congregation of that city for judgment and and until the death of the high priest and I love this because you see the uh, here that the the freedom came the freedom for the manslayer came after the death of the high priest and i don 't want to over spiritualize this, but I think there's something here that is very interesting for us as Christians because our freedom came, didn't it, after the death of our high priest, Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened to the manslayer. Once the high priest died, he was free, he, and nobody could touch him under fear of death. If they did, they would be put to death. And Satan, if you, you know, because of our transgressions, our avenger of blood, Satan, he seeks to destroy us. And Satan, in the word of God, is called the murderer, and he's called a liar. He's called a thief. However, we can flee to Jesus because he is our refuge. There is a song we used to sing, and it goes, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it, and they are saved. And then it repeats, right? And, and that's the song that we sing, and, and how true it is. Because we are fleeing, in a sense, from our guilt And yet we can run into the refuge of Christ. And because of that, we are safe. And now that he's died, our great freedom that we've been given through Christ is there. In fact, in Psalm 46, the sons of Korah wrote a psalm, and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its dwelling. And later on, or I'm sorry, in Second Samuel, when David was running and finally delivered from Saul, it says in Second Samuel chapter 22 this, it says, Then David spoke to the Lord the, the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, notice, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence, and I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so I shall be saved from my enemies. And isn't that a wonderful thing to consider? That you have been saved from your enemies. The greatest enemies that we have are the ones we cannot see with our naked eyes. There are enemies that we know that hate us, that have a full-out program designed to trip you up and to cause you to fall into compromise and sin. And we know that they are the fallen angels, the demons. They are very real. We see them active every day in the lives of people. Why do people put vests on themselves and walk into a, a churches in, in Sri Lanka? and have C4 all embedded in their thing and pull the cord and not only blow themselves into small pieces, but kill hundreds of people who are there worshiping the Lord. How does that happen? Is it the Holy Spirit that has indwelt this person who has strapped the C4 to their bodies? Or is it a demonic spirit? I can tell you that it's not the Holy Spirit. Horrible things. But back in Joshua 20, in verse 7, so it says, So they appointed Kedish in Galilee. And so now these are three other cities. So we got three cities on the east side of the Jordan, and now we're going to have three cities on the west side of the Jordan, and Joshua is going to tell us what they are. So they appointed Kedish in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho, eastward, they assigned Bezer. And again, this is a review of what we've already spoke about. Bezer in the wilderness of the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Does God really care? Of course he does. He cares about every little hair. Didn't he say to his disciples, even the very hairs of your head are numbered? And not one of them falls without me knowing about it. And aren't you much more worth than the sparrows? Aren't you much more worth than all of the other animals? Isn't it true that God says that we are his workmanship? That means we are his poema, we are his masterpiece. Why did he create everything? If you recall in the Genesis account, he created the, the heavens and the moon and the stars and the sun and all of that. Then he created the, the, the water and the animals and the plant life. He created all of that, and then finally, lastly, he sticks man in the midst of it once it's all finished, and it was very good. He waited, and he put the man, his masterpiece, the one that he really wanted to have fellowship with, he put him in the garden. He says, now I want to have fellowship with this one. And ever since then, he's been wooing us to himself, isn't he? I mean, God could have made robots that just had to love him, but God is not interested in some kind of involuntary love. He wants voluntary love, someone to look at him and, and, and acknowledge their sin and say, Lord, you have a solution. I believe in what you did on the cross for me. And as a result of that, I give my life to you. There's nothing greater in the heart of God than to have a child of God make that profession of faith because it honors him, because he, it has to be a choice. Love has to be a choice. Your wife loves you out of choice. She wasn't going down the uh, aisle. Forgive me for saying this. You know she didn't have a gun to her head, saying you're going to marry Mister Wonderful. You know you weren't forced at gunpoint to marry your husband or to marry your wife. You did it. You saw her, and your jaw hit the ground, and your heart started to beat. And the next thing you know, right? And then, and, and that's what happens. And then you find yourself walking down the aisle, and you're just like, I, I'm so smitten. Isn't it wonderful to be smitten? I love it. I'm still smitten. Uh, and so it's a really wonderful thing. But God loves, and he cares. He really does care. But notice. But, verse 11, we're back in Deuteronomy 19. If anyone hates his neighbor lies in wait for him, he plans a trap, and he rises against him and strikes him mortally so that he does die, and he flees to one of those cities. Now it's a whole different ball game, whole different story now. Then the elders of the city will send and bring him from there, and they will deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him, verse 13, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel. Notice, underline this, that it may go well with you. That it may go well with you. Again, think of how this was a great deterrent against sin. It is something that we have really lost today. And I'll be honest with you, when we talk about capital punishment, it's not something that anybody's excited about. But I've got to be honest with you, when I look at our culture and in our world, that when there is no deterrent for sin any longer... The natural sinner is emboldened now to continue doing it because the worst case that could happen, the worst thing that could happen is that I get caught. And I might go to jail for a couple days, maybe for a week or two. And if I'm on good behavior, maybe only for a couple months or maybe only for a couple years if I've really done something really bad. But that is the way it is in our country. And in some states in our country, they have the death penalty. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not opposed to the death penalty. I think that as long as the person has a fair trial and it's it's conclusive, meaning it's got to be, you know, if it's 100%, you know, this thing's on videotape, his fingerprints are all over the gun, you know, he bought the bullets before, you know, at Walmart. I mean, everything is there. If it's conclusive and even confesses to it, then, you know, give him an opportunity to receive the Lord. They do that in prisons before death row. They do that. They give you an opportunity. And you may not agree with me, and that's okay. This is a very controversial topic. But I'm telling you that back at this time, the children of Israel had a healthy fear of doing wrong and harming somebody, and and, and it controlled the spread of sin. But not in our culture anymore. Everybody does what they want, and very few actually pay the price for it. They might get their hands slapped. They might spend some time in prison where they have cable television, and they have three square meals a day. They have their own bed, their own toilet, and a TV and maybe even a free education. You can get your master's degree in prison. Did you know that? In some prisons, you can actually get a degree before you leave. So this is not easy stuff. However, we, we live in a wicked world. And I love to see when somebody is, wrong, when somebody is wrongfully accused and the evidence comes against you know, for them and, and they're set free. That's a beautiful moment in our justice system. And there are many people who die that didn't deserve to die, and there are many people who are still um, playing the system that um, deserve the the, the the death penalty. And again, you know, God didn't have a problem with that. But somehow we think better. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, and they always have an opportunity to receive the Lord. Do you realize that? Even the hardest criminal on death row, if he wants to speak to a pastor before they give him this lethal injection or whatever, they have that opportunity. I mean, think of that. If I know I'm going to meet my maker or not meet my maker or ultimately stand before my maker as, 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 as being judged by him, I have an opportunity right then to say, okay, Lord, forgive me. I know this sentence, this sentence has to be meted out. It's got to happen. But I can, I can, I can make my determination of where I spend my eternity now. And if you take that opportunity, you'll still have to go through the punishment. But guess what? As soon as you close your eyes, you're in heaven. That's how good God is. Let's go on to verse 14, because now the topic changes. And I'm really glad, because I don't like talking about this either. But he says, "...you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set, in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess." The landmark in Israel, you go over there today and you can actually see the landmarks as you, as you travel from different places and you look out in the fields and, and a lot of times there'll be these uh, rocks that are just laid up and, and they, they define the boundaries of where these shepherds, their land. And those landmarks are not to be removed, not to be uh, messed with. In fact, in Deuteronomy 27, uh, the chapter 27 and 28 are basically contain the blessings uh, for obedience and the curses for disobedience. But one of the curses is, it says in Deuteronomy 27, verse 17, it says, Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say amen. And so moving the landmark was a really big deal. In Proverbs, even in verse or chapter twenty two it says, "Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. these are sacred things, and God, and at least for the Jews, he allowed them to make sure that these land that all this land was clearly identified and and, and and the Jews would have this land for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, over a thousand years, and even beyond, because they would make sure that all the land belong to them, and it wouldn't go outside of the tribe. That's what the year of Jubilee was all about. If I sold my land to somebody, they could borrow it, basically. They're basically buying it, but it's only for a time. They get the fruit of the land, but at the end of the year of Jubilee, at the end of that 49th year and going into the 50th year, all the land that I purchased from so-and-so, i got to give back to him because that goes to his family. But I, I was able to reap the benefits, the fruit of that land, and that was mine, but now i got to give the land back. And so God even had a plan for that too. Verse 15, it says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And and notice that in the matter, it has to be two or three witnesses. It can't just be on one witness. And even in our own justice system, again, when something really big happens, like, like a murder or something like that. It go, usually goes to a, a jury trial, and there's a judge, and then there's a jury panel, and they go and they, they, they pick jurors. They try to get the most, uh, they, they try to get very, a, very, a, a great variety of different people from different backgrounds, different races. They try to give an accurate representation of the community to judge what has happened. And you think about it, that's a safeguard, folks, because if you really didn't like me, and you could go to the judge and say, "I saw him with my, with my own eyes, I saw him you know hurt this person, he killed him by, uh, on purpose, and uh, if the judge said, uh, "Well, you know what, you're a good guy, and I, I really believe that you haven't told a lie, and therefore we're going to put him to death, right? God says, uh, "Not so fast. has to be by two or three witnesses." Two or three witnesses, and there is the safeguard. And we have that in our own justice system. That's one of the good things about our justice system. But notice verse 16, it says, If a false witness rise among any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priest and the judges who serve in those days. Verse 18, And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, notice what happens, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So shall you put away the evil from among you. See how serious that is? God is very concerned about justice and it being meted out correctly and, and, and rightly. And rightly, you know, if you remember, before Jesus was crucified, he stood before the Sanhedrin, this 70-member group that made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. And they were the, really the rulers of, uh, of the Jewish uh, system, in a sense. And it says in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 55, it says, Now the chief priests and all the council, they sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death but found none for many bore false witness against him but their testimonies did not agree and then some rose up and bore false witness against him saying we heard him say i will destroy this temple made with hands and within 3 days i will build another made without hands but not even there did their testimony agree and yet if they were if they, if they were able to have jesus put to death on this false testimony which they ultimately did. You know, he stood before the Sanhedrin and the false witnesses against him didn't agree and yet they would condemn him to death and the men who gave the false witnesses didn't receive the punishment that their own law required. Even after they put him to death, it was, it was a false witness. And yet they went ahead and did it anyway. And that's why when soldiers would, would watch a tomb...
0: they had to Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.